Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Creating Portland. We have an incredible guest here today, and multimedia resourcing and events is their fame, but loving people art and nonsense of all varieties is their game. We have Katya here today, and Katya's been working in Portland for a little under three years, give or take a pandemic, and loves helping to connect the various communities here in Portland to the greater nightlife and queer community, which I'm so excited to get into. Katya, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, We are so excited to have you here, and we'll jump right in with the big question of the pod, which is, how are you, Katya, creating Portland with your art? Um, Well, it's, 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 that's, to be like a question like that, I'm like, LOL. I totally appreciate like everyone. That's, but it just seems so weird to put it like in that context. I don't consider myself like mm-hmm. creating Portland. I'm very much a, a child of, of Portland in terms of like, I moved here five years ago. So a lot of the groundwork mm-hmm. has been laid for me uh, in terms of like the weirdness, the really strong, uh, mm-hmm. but small queer community and uh, people who are just willing to like, I feel like put themselves out there a lot. Like a lot of people... Yes. Like I do a lot of theme parties and people who are not getting paid at all show up in like really <laughs> ornate looks that are fantastic. And people, um, I think even like the way I, I know your producer is like just supporting other people in their ventures just feels really natural here. I am a firm believer mm-hmm. in rising tide or ra- rising tides raise all ships. And so I think mm-hmm. we just can benefit from that sort of mindset. So I, I'm creating a Portland, but I feel like I'm much I, I, my job is like uplifting the many creators of Portland. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I feel very similarly. I'm hoping we're doing that with these conversations too. And I think that is so important to just be elevating different voices. And then what do you bring specifically to Portland? What are you working on in the city? Uh, I do a lot of work with events, which obviously is uh, farther and fewer between. Because right. I'm definitely in the camp of, I don't want to, I want to wait till the full like we can have the full effect back. I don't think we're really enjo- enjoying yeah. going out right now. At least I'm not just, I'm not, I don't drink. I usually was there for like the nonsense and the fun and the goofiness. And mm-hmm. you really, if you go to a bar, you have to stay with your pod, which of course is important. And the drag shows are like no, no non-contact. So it's, which is keeping everyone safe. And I'm so appreciative of people willing to do that. But for me, that's just, that loses all the fun. So for now, a lot of things are on hold and we're just working more on the, like media aspect and also starting a fitness company and just working on a uh, okay. more sustainable community organization. Oh, exciting. Okay. So then, well, let's talk then like pre pandemic in the be- <laughs> grand before times, what was your life looking like? What was your artistic? Uh, I mean, like? yeah, I do. I feel like a lot of my stuff was just, cause I didn't mean to start playing events. I just worked with Halsey and I ran, uh, was their events coordinator very like show up just help like leave not anything in the production role not really any sort of creative input uh just sort of just helping move the 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 wheels there and when uh event dropped out for pride in 2018 they asked me if i wanted to step in and so i did and it kind of like is all of a sudden just like i was i am a firm believer in saying yes to most things i think i'm slowly learning 
the no too, but at first it felt really important to say yes to as many things as I could. So I did brunches, mm-hmm. I did drag shows, I had I even had straight dance parties, I had charity events, trivias, bingos, after hour parties, um, anything that congregated gays and queers and Portlanders. And I did a lot of like I like yes. like hot bluing, so I like make goofy costumes too. It's like more of my like hobby hobby art. And so your your are you a performer as well as an organizer? I've only performed. A performer. I performed okay, so one you're... time, like as like a way to like know what I'm asking of people. Mm. I'm a, yeah. Yes, that's but, important. Yeah, I mean, it definitely made me. I was like, well, I uh, did like it. Did love it. Did, uh, it's just like. It's, it's, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of energy and uh, like the way I put, the way I'm good at putting myself out there is not necessarily in that like really raw and yeah. creative way. That really is like, you know, you're hope, hoping for the best, hoping that people love you, tip you dollars. Um, so yeah, right. nothing, no, no, no performance. I host a lot of things. Like if I live, like I'll go and like make a look or turn a look somewhere and like help organize. Yes. Things. Well, and that's just as creative, I think, the producing and the organizing and the the pulling together of an event. And so what does that process look like for you? Um, it's, uh, we, we try, my assistant and I try to make like a list, like, like a checklist for events so we could like have something to sort of, it, everything was sort of, mm-hmm. it, I mean, a, a really simplistic way is like you come with the concepts, you book the people, you create the graphics and the, and the event page, and then you and then whatever else sort of happens is very like either it's either fire putting out fires or starting fires depending on the drag queen like people are it, it's sort of more responsive after that point but obviously a lot of planning goes into it that and yeah you just hope that it all comes it goes according to that plan oh well that sounds i mean i want to go to one of your events now that sounds like you got what the system going on um so i'm curious what brought you to portland and what keeps you here i guess especially with the crisis going on like i feel yeah what is I, it about it's funny because i always say like i don't think gays really ever move they like just like get a boyfriend somewhere else and then they move where that <laughs> boyfriend is and that is fully my i had a boyfriend work for intel mm. I, lived, I was i lived in minnesota for four years prior to that and i just what couldn't do the cold anymore which is the cold mm-hmm. here is not cold compared to there at all. And like, it's so fleeting. <laughs> Everyone dying this weekend was, I was like, oh, only, it was like. Yes, we're recording this right after the snowstorm that just shook our city. Yeah. But yeah, I can get I like, it, not... to be fair, I totally get it. I'm not like one of those like people who are like, why can't everyone drive? Like our city's not built for it. But it is just <laughs> interesting watching. Like right. I, I fully just did all of my regular things for those like three days. Cause I was just like, well, I just walk around. I guess I don't know. It wasn't that cold. Right. But I didn't like, I really hate the cold. <laughs> Actually, honestly, and it is getting too cold for me here. I don't see myself spending many more winters here. But I really enjoy uh, the the people that live here in such a way that anywhere else. Every time I go somewhere else, I'm like, it's fun, it's cute, but I'm really ready to get back to Portland. Because people here have such an open mind and really few judgments. And if you can find your community here, it's pretty strong. Yes, well, that kind of gets into our second part of the podcast which is what do you like about the portland art scene and then what do you think we could improve on what are the areas that are maybe not working as well i think this has been a year of reckoning in many ways i right. uh, can appreciate the 
fact that I don't have a, a bar or venues. So it's like it, I had a lot less at stake. Mm. I, had a, I had a lot less to tangibly lose, which mm-hmm. was good, I think, for me at least personally, because then I didn't, I could, I can rebrand and regroup and figure, I can throw a party anywhere. But I, <laughs> and I am sad to see a lot of venues and spaces go, but I do think that's going to give us an opportunity to sort of shake out some of those bad habits. And I mean, the fact of the matter mm. is, most of the people who run bars and venues and generally own property are like old white men and so much of my job was trying to like navigate that hey we need to create spaces and be um like able to go like because a lot of gay bars here didn't really throw events they're very like no no programming we just do we just have big specials Mm. so we really have to look elsewhere to throw parties and that makes it a bit yeah you're like you're doing this balancing act of trying to get people to respect queer art and also accept I mean I just remember like some of the owners of Holocene I don't know if you know Patrick Buckmaster but they're a very individual kind of person who wears exactly what they want to wear all the time says all the things that they want to say all the time it's what makes them them but it was I was always having to do like some sort of like liaison role of trying to calm them down and also they're not happy I don't know so that's sort of like the things that I'd like to see. I love the people that are here are so themselves but there is when there's an upper echelon of people who run things that are not like that at all so it's it's just a weird mm. kind of find that line yeah that is interesting to sort of talk about the gatekeeping even within a community that is not as mainstream or not i, I don't want to say underground because we're not really underground as queer people here in portland but like it's interesting that there's still people withholding space and venues and things like that in our city as well. So yeah, to answer your second question, I think that is what I would love to see changed. And I think, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, even I've gotten two offers to open a gay bar here. I don't know if I'm going to do, I just have, I don't have a strong interest in doing anything like this year, like maybe something in the future. Mm-hmm. It just seems like still kind of precarious. Uh, but I do right. think that, Whoever takes over new gay bars, because a couple of gay bars have closed down and a ton of just regular venues and clubs have closed down. Whoever that, who, because people, people are going to get money from the government. There's going to be some sort of aid eventually, eventually, hopefully. And that's right. going to be exciting because I think it's going to be a lot of like grants and loans to people who don't normally have opportunities. It's like a new deal situation now. Mm-hmm. And what, like, what in an ideal world, what would that look like? What would this new, sort of these well, I, incoming queer spaces look like? I think everyone who's ever, I, I, went, I guess I don't know how long CJ's lived here, but like there used to be a Vaseline Alley and that was like seven or eight gay mm-hmm. bars that were like right where Scandals is now. And actually it's funny, Scandals wasn't in that bar. It was in a different part in the same neighborhood. But there was like, right. I think there was like 10 gay bars at one time. This is like the 90s and early 2000s. And then Grinder came out. And so, and not just Grinder, but like dating apps in general. And, the nightlife and bar mm. scenes across the country. It was, it, I sort of had thought it was like maybe just because Portland was chill, but even when I travel and talk to other people, they're like, things are different now. People don't really look to bars as much mm. as places to congregate. And now I guess like even less. We're more technologically right. separated. So I think in that, honestly, that is the number one problem that I hope, plan on addressing, which is just trying to find a way to have like engaging and... Mm. I just I really hope that we can like we're at a technological adolescence and like we've realized that 
I mean, I'm, I'm a big tech ethicist kind of person. We realized that like technology, social media has not exactly been the tool that we'd hoped it to be. And it's created a lot of, you know, lack of attention spans and political polarization and so many other things. And, and the bars is just one of the many effects. But I'm hoping that we just start taking and thinking about ways that we can like functionally help at least alleviate the problem or maybe even find new technologies that are more ethical and mm. empathic. Yes. And what have you been like in in terms of addressing this, what does that look like for you? Is that in your programming you're gonna create something more engaging or well, what is, so I think like how do we come back? Yeah, that? so we're definitely still um, I always but I <laughs> my fame. Events are more my skill set is I wish it just didn't <laughs> rhyme with it didn't rhyme with game. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> events are more of my skill set. I really enjoy um, like gathering people in that moment too. But I'm much more of a one-on-one mm-hmm. -on -one person. So I honestly, I have a podcast starting on Wednesday called "From the Horse's Mouth," and I've been interviewing okay. queer people from all over the country, and um, it's been awesome. Because the nice thing about this pandemic is that it's so much more easy to be like, "Do you want to virtually meet?" And also, you'll get higher, right. you'll get more engagement than you would have gotten before. Like when I saw people go live before, I was like, Ugh, "Who cares?" But now it's like, mm -hmm. that's all there is. So you can, yeah, so, right. so I, I'm, I'm much more apt to check out people. So, um, but to answer your question fully, I just plan on doing a whole wide, wider, like we have yoga, book club ideas, providing um, just activities that aren't centered around, you know, excessive drinking or partying or drug use, mm. which I'm all for. I'm very like drug positive, party positive. I just think it, it need, everything in life just needs balance. So I'm hoping that if we do stuff like that, Maybe have a couple parties where mm. there's no phones allowed, um, and also I like sneakily Ooh. talk about tech ethics, as you can tell in every conversation I have. Yes. I'm just saying if you haven't watched the Social Dilemma and the people who created it have this podcast called Oh Yes. They, well, they, they created the the documentary was a little sensationalist. I definitely had like a knee jerk reaction to it, but there's a much 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 better <laughs> podcast that has called Your Undivided Attention that has a more well rounded uh, approach of like has like the problems they discuss them but they have a lot more viable solutions mm -hmm. discussed too okay well this is really interesting looking at this from a tech avenue i guess and i'm curious like what what other effects have you noticed not only just on queer nightlife but on um art in general oh and yeah drag art and queer art. i mean i in just interviewed colty and we were talking about how fast fashion because like if you really want to go like way back arguably fashion and art is like what created capitalism like before the 1700s, Ooh. like, people didn't really, you didn't buy things and then just to buy them. Like, you bought them because, like, you couldn't make it yourself. You needed them. And also, right. you, would, you would wear clothes until they just couldn't be worn. There was no, like, in and out of fashion. But, like, once the French courts found a way to, like, that's, you could, like, make people have status or not have status by purchasing things. And it, it was sort of, like, this weird way of, like, creating, uh, like, him dominating the courts because he would decide what was, like, in fashion. So, like, if you look, and then, that's honestly, like, and think of all that we throw so much away. I'm a huge, like, I try to only shop at Goodwill if I can help it, because it's, like, even myself, mm -hmm. I'm doing a purge right now. I'm like, I have so much clothes that I don't need. <laughs> but, so it's, like, and I also, when it comes to that, when it relates to technology, I also feel like art has become fast fashion, too. People are really focused on, like, putting Ooh. out something that, like, no one's seen before. You want to make sure that, and if you're for top, if someone takes a picture of you in that look, well, then... Yeah, it can never work. You never wear it again. Yeah. It's, I just and I feel like that kind of applies to a lot, like a lot of things. Like a lot of people are just we're just trying to get engagement, likes, et cetera, et cetera. So, 
And have you noticed like shifts specifically from queens in the drag scene as technology becomes more? Well, I think it's the venue. Yeah, when I think, and it's like our, it's it's like who 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 knows what came first, the chicken or the egg? Because Drag Race, right. Drag Race really did popularize both tra- drag and queer culture, uh, and Black women culture too, uh, and trans culture. But it made. Um, that kind of, I think, like, sort of created, like, an information gap because it had, it would give you, like, the tip of the iceberg of, like, what it's all about, and then people ran wild with it because Mm. of social media, but really it's only, like, a small, it's only 14 queens per season, which is, like, there's just so many, but I will say to that similar point, I think a lot of queens now, you can just go online and find makeup tutorials, you can find how to make hip pads, you can, so it's a lot more accessible, Mm -hmm. so you're seeing a lot more good drag because more people... Or, you know, you're not just a lot of times drag queens back in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s were just like old, rich white guys, which is sort of funny to think, but they was, it was like, yeah, but they were, and they right, were, they could afford to do that. Yeah, the courts, the, the Rose Court system is actually the old, one of the oldest uh, institutions in Portland. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I love the the historical context you're bringing to all this and just like putting it into perspective too because it feels like this year has been so focused on how crazy this yes. year has been but when we tie it to everything else it kind of makes sense that we've inevitably reached this point with technology yeah and with- we've been in people used to think the radio people used to think radio is going to be the end of the world because I mean you when when FDR did like fireside chats like people were like he's in our living room like and then television, and before that, even like in France, there still are laws about printed posters because people thought printed posters were going to be like the death of information. So it's not mm. often a tool, you know. And of course, that's like a slippery way of thinking. But often a right. tool is is not inherently bad. Like I'm not saying guns don't kill people; guns still kill people. But a lot of times, the tool and the object is really just what we decide it, how 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 it's handled. And like Twitter has already taken a lot of they've made a lot of moves in the last year because they, mm-hmm. they realized that they were becoming a problem they were they were like well people are right. using our platform in some countries to commit genocide like in the philippines or in Myanmar. Yeah. and so now um people are being conscious about it actually it's it's what's crazy is we think social media ba- is bad here in america we're actually probably one of the more aware countries um when in, in a lot of places uh, they, people use like what they use like offshoots of like whatsapp is owned by facebook they own like less um mm. less i would say curated but less like like the people like policing what like is on there so i think like once we see more technological and regulating it and the portion that sort of relates to me at least is mostly like the addictive properties of it i had to take like a mm. i had to take like a four-month break because uh <laughs> i was addicted i was yeah and i was like why am i depressed for the last two years which is about how long i've been doing events <laughs> And it really was. I just had just I, I had met my muscle memory in my phone in my fingers and um, uh, attachment to likes and, and shares and follows. And uh, once I was sort of like able to like mm. the social dilemma was great because it just made me like be like okay, this is something that you need to learn. This is why as a tool, yeah. not a crutch. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think if, for events and stuff, though, it'll be cool to see people step away from that. Yeah, it is fascinating, and I I love that you call it a tool. And I think about especially what you were saying about drag race popularizing queer culture as a whole idea for the mainstream. And it's like, this has legitimized in kind of a mainstream way, all of this queer art. And I'm curious, like, 
what are some of the positives you're seeing in terms of exposure and in terms of like who's coming to your events? Yeah. I think like even just like this, it's just, I have been in boardrooms with people dressed like this, like make, like I used to work at some, mm-hmm. I had some corporate gigs and I, I was, and I don't know if it was Portland or if the times would be a change in, but it did feel like there's a bit more acceptance and tolerance around where it I do hope to get to a place where it doesn't matter how someone presents themselves to you you could just like treat them as, mm. I mean who knows when that will be but I do think we're, we're getting in a, we're a place where we're starting to appreciate individuality a lot more mm. and I you know it's, we just once we open the Pandora's box of giving women the right to vote all of a sudden we're like oh we have to treat everyone equally and so now I think we're, we're still in that yeah. process and we're still making our mm-hmm. way but social media is it, it is, and actually, I'm just listening to an interesting podcast. That's like, it is a tool of misinformation and dictatorship and all the negative things, but also because mm-hmm. they are based on that, it's super fragile because I mean, public perception can can mobilize and change in a second. Totally. Ugh. Okay. Well, I mean, that kind of starts to talk to our our last point, which is just what is your hope? What is your hope for Portland art? This sort of you were just talking about presenting uh, individuality and acceptance of however people arrive to the space, but what else do you hope for our, the future of Portland art? Uh, I mean, I hope it keeps going. I think it will. I think I'm, I'm very well. <laughs> I'm very pleased to see. I mean, here I am. You're interviewing me, and I'm interviewing people, and I see other people, and the people I'm talking to all seem to be up to something. 2020 was nothing if not an opportunity. Mm. Most of us have been working since we were at least I've been working since I was 14, so I, I really had never taken a break. And so I think that is, right. and a lot of queens I know who kind of were hot messes before kind of got their shit together. I know a lot of people, drag queens and everyone a lot, just were like, okay, I have to because everything is crashing down. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be cool to see. I know a lot more artists who live lives of stability now versus lives of like sort of like mm. frantically just kind of keeping up. And it'll be cool to see people mm. kind of be able to be a, I think there's a misconception that you have to be like a starving artist to make good art. And I, right. I, I really, really strongly don't recommend that if you're starving with your art, maybe your art isn't that good. Or you need to just like support yourself and then work on your art. Because I think like unless you're taking care of yourself, um, yeah, you won't make good art. So I think, that's, I think there's a lot of hope because people are, people are feeling creative and doing things. And hobby, ho- everyone's got a hobby these days. They're knitting and... Doing yes. drag. I feel like a lot of people try drag for the first time. There's a lot of people put music right. out. I mean, you name it. Yeah, yeah. It's been definitely a time of discovering, definitely a time of pausing and reflecting. And I mean, that's been a theme on this show is just so many people are taking a moment like you did. Yeah. And saying, oh, I don't think I would have taken next? it. How I mean, I, it's a terrible thing to say, but thank God, right? less this pandemic, but best pandemic ever. I hope it's our only one. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I hope it's our only one, but truly it has been so important for this kind of reflection. And I totally feel the same way. It's like we could have just kept slashing and burning our whole way through life until we went into the ground. Like, there has to be a moment to stop and pause and check on what we want. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming, Katya. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I cannot wait till your events are back on and I can come to some of them. This sounds like... Yes, I think, I think the fall, I, mean, I, 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 I don't know what your beliefs are, but I hope you're getting vaccinated. Hope everyone who, anyone who's listening gets I'm vaccinated. So yeah. <laughs> I, I can respect the fact that people think it's a microchip, but also you're carrying a microchip around in your pocket already. It's your phone. Oh. <laughs> and that's the truth. Yeah. That is it. 
Yes, I mean, I'm a teacher, so fortunately I will be yeah. fully vaxxed and ready to party with you as soon as it is yeah. possible. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I just, I'm getting my second one next week, so. We're, we're, the, we're, the light nice. is at the end of the tunnel, so. Well, thank you both Incredible. for thinking of me, and I hope uh, whatever this airs, I can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creating Portland with me, Pearson Coons. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CreatingPDX or on our website, CreatingPDX.com. This podcast was brought to you by Wolf and Thunder Productions and Golden Pride Productions. See you next time. Bye!